so good to be with you, uh, Maple Grove, Elk River, be able to be together today as we uh, take time to look into God's Word. Do you remember the moment in your own uh, life when you got to the age where you begin to be a little more trusted by your parents, by your gardens, and uh, maybe that point in time when they entrusted the house key to you? Remember uh, back in the 80s when I was a kid, I remember the distinct moments when uh, we didn't have fidget spinners, but there's always been trends. And uh, there was this trend where we would wear a bright color lanyard with, uh, with a house key on it and just make it very visible that we were entrusted with a house key. And uh, all my friends had the house key hanging around their neck, and I needed to get the house key hanging around my neck too. So I picked a yellow, a bright yellow uh, colored lanyard and, uh, and asked my parents if I could have the house key. I don't know if, if I really needed it because I usually would uh, enter or exit when they were there. Uh, and they gave me a key. Thinking back, I, I actually wonder if it was actually the house key or it might have just been some random key. <laughs> but I wore that key proudly and uh, took it to school and I just felt like, you know, I had arrived. This is kind of a moment of trust, you know, responsibility. And uh, so, you know, I had that key and made sure everyone kind of saw it when I was walking around. Together with that, that kind of season is when they begin to start leaving me home in kind of incremental periods of time. They go out for coffee and leave me without calling the babysitter. And uh, so it was maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. They might have been just kind of watching from the corner down the street, <laughs> seeing if smoke started coming out of the house or something. But um, you know, it got to the point where they were a little more comfortable and I was, you know, old enough to be on my own at home. And, and uh, right around then, I remember a couple traumatic uh, instances where I didn't realize when they went out. Or maybe they told me and I just wasn't listening. And all of a sudden, I'm home by myself and, uh, and, and I'm, mommy, mommy. And uh, no one's answering. And then this thought entered my mind that what if the rapture happened? Have you ever had a moment like that? You're like, fall to your knees and uh, just beg for mercy, God. Show me a good hiding spot for the tribulation. And what am I going to do now? And, and uh, go and check the canned foods. And, you know, am I going to have to bunker up? And, and, uh, and, and it was a few different times where I just freaked out. And then uh, if I saw someone, you know, that I respected, I thought, okay, can't, rapture has not happened because... Pastor Nate's still in the room here, so that, can, that means that Christ has not returned yet for his saints, right? And so th there was just, I had this sense of imminence and urgency, but then there was also a sense of, ooh, what if I missed it? You know, what if I blinked? Or what if I, you know, for some odd reason uh, was not included in, in the select. And then there was also the times when I would go to like a, a, a swimming pool or like a theme park, like a valley fair type place, and you had to leave and then get a re-entry stamp. Guys, familiar with this, right? Always offer the left hand because the mark of the beast is going to be on your right hand and on your forehead. <laughs> and it would just be like the Antichrist to try to trick you in with a Valley Fair re entry stamp. <laughs> and then you're condemned forever and ever to the lake of fire, right? And uh, so I, up to this day, I'm like, right hand, no, I'll just, I'm a lefty, you know, for this. Re entry stamps, I'm a lefty, right? And uh, so I had these kind of these concepts about the end times and about, you know, what it would look like. And, uh, and, and it coincided with the unique time of the church, too, because, you know, a lot of prophecies 
uh, were, were kind of reignited when uh, the establishment of the nation of Israel in the 60s, and then the whole thought of this generation will not pass or will not taste death until, you know, Christ has returned. So then there was a lot of different, uh, you know, material that came out. Books were written. Movies were made. Movies where people would be raptured and leave their clothes behind. And uh, for some odd reason, God would take him up without clothes. Maybe he had clothes. He had another, uh, you know, change of clothes waiting for them in a cloud. But then you look around, you got like the pants and shirts laying out and shoes, and you're like, oh, no, I'm left behind. And so it was just kind of a traumatic approach to it, and, and it would literally scare the hell out of you, right? And so, Sorry. It was a fitting moment. You guys have to, you know, acknowledge that if there's ever a moment to say it, it was, that was it, right? So, it, this, the 80s, I mean, what a, what a great season for uh, apocalyptic um, attention, right? And uh, great material written, books that are worth a lot of money right now. I've got one on the back screen here, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988, Notice the price used. Two copies left. The rest have been raptured. Um, <laughs> starting at $200. It's worth a lot of money. You can get it on Kindle for cheaper, but why would you? I mean, you want the actual, you know. There's a, you know, there's a sequel coming out, but no, I'm just, I don't know. There was a lot of speculation and a lot of predictions that were set up and a lot of, like, maps and, and uh chronologies and graphs and all kinds of incredible things. And there continues to be. And, uh, and we aren't, you know, the, the pendulum can swing both ways. We're like, oh, that was, you know, it didn't happen. So now I don't believe in the rapture anymore. No, we got to base our beliefs on what is in scripture. God speaks a lot about the end times, speaks a lot about the hope that we have, speaks a lot about what he's planning on doing. But, uh, you know, there, there are interpretations and speculations that can go uh, different ways. And if you add to that, there is a certain fascination with the end times, even within our current generation. There's a whole zombie apocalypse culture going on, right? And how to, you know, how, you know what's the best way to kill a zombie? And then there's, like, series going on. And so this is all kind of end times uh, conversations that are going on. There's a, a lot of uh, movies that have come out that are kind of, uh, you know, dystopic visions of the future. You know, just everything is falling apart. There's corruption. And, you know, you got like Maze Runner, you got Divergent series, you got The Hunger Games, and everything is just, everything is just a mess and uh, in, in a way of trying to survive that. There is curiosity when it comes to the end times. Uh, but it's really hard to sort out and separate fiction, fantasy, special effects. And so even when there is an interest, uh, God's prophecy or his promises can got, get kind of lost in that, that, uh, that, you know, that mix of special effects uh, that we get from our, our current culture. So whatever the case, you know, if it's man speculating and, and there might be kind of a tendency to go uh, more towards, uh, you know, being hyper mystical or more being very structured in our approach. Um, man is very limited. We humanity is limited in what we can see for what's coming ahead. But God knows the end from the beginning. How many say amen to that? And he gives us spoilers and invites us into the story of what he is doing and planning on doing. And this is what we call revelation. There's a lot of great books in scripture that have, uh, you know, it's a genre called apocalyptic um, uh, writings. So you got poetry, you got narrative, and then you got, 
you know, like the book of Revelation. I, you know, some people are like, ooh, you know, I skip to the maps. Just, yeah, I forget Revelation. It's kind of scary there. Got all kinds of beasts with like horns and horns coming out of horns. And then you got, you know, it's just, it's weird. And so I, some people are intimidated. Others are like, that's, I live in Revelation, you know, and I read it every day. And uh, so whatever the case, God has included it in his message to us. And all scriptures inspired by God, and it's useful, it's powerful to impact our lives today. I heard a great um, quote uh, earlier this week. We had a class, Pastor Nate set it up for a, a, a doctor um, in, in theology to come and teach us on narrative preaching. And he had a, a great quote, Dr. Crabtree said, there's a story that's told before it happens. We call this prophecy. And uh, if you think about it, God points us to the story of what he's already done, points us ahead to the story of what he is going to do, and then he pulls us into the story of what he is doing right now. And prophecy is a very important part of his message of hope and direction and inspiration for us today. It's not just, oh, you know, someday I might just, in the case of the emergency, I need, I know, need to know where to look it up in Revelation. Now, our, our church has a rich heritage in, uh, in, in, in being, in valuing uh, the second coming of Christ and uh, in, in, in being aware of the fact that Christ has promised he's going to return. And I remember the first day I walked into this room, into the, the room here at Spring Lake Park, uh, the main sanctuary, looked really different. The year was 2002, and it wasn't during the service. I showed up, uh, we had just arrived, and, and we're joining staff. Pastor uh, Mark Dennis actually walked me and gave me a little bit of a tour. And uh, we stopped over on the side here, and there was a big stained glass window with uh, Jesus riding a white horse and, uh, you know, kind of a depiction of the second coming of Christ. And thank God those stained glass windows are now with Teen Challenge and, uh, and, and just inspiring faith and, and beauty and worship there. And, uh, but he, he, we stopped there, and so I was, you know, I was my boss. So I'm, you know, we'll go wherever you want. We'll look at whatever you want. Right. And, uh, he stops and he's, he said, what do you think about the same glass? I said, oh, it's, it's great. looks great. Beautiful. He says, uh, yeah, I had the artist. I, I actually, uh, helped design some of this. And, uh, and, and I had the artist include me. I'm actually one of the horsemen that's riding behind, uh, Jesus there. And I was like, Ooh, that's really cool. And I started squinting looking at it. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Come on, let's keep on walking. And, uh, <laughs> Very uh, Pastor Dennis to do that, right? Just kind of, come on, come on, kid. And, uh, and so, but there, you know, we've always emphasized from decades and decades, you know, our hope is placed in that reuniting with, uh, with our creator, the King of Kings. Jesus is coming back. History moves forward. It's not cyclical. It's not just a regurgitation of the same old, same old. God has a plan. He has a purpose for us. And uh, as we step into scripture today, uh, you got your bulletins, uh, you got some blanks there. No one will leave with blanks unfilled today. I got a, you know, we had a, I, I was subtle in uh, one of the last times I did, and I kind of mentioned the points without pointing them out, but everyone's going to complete their blanks today. No one's leaving. You'll get checked at the door, and uh, we'll see if you did your homework doing the sermon today, right? Uh, Daniel chapter 7 says the following. This is actually, this would have happened before the lion's den in, during the kingdom of, of uh, Belshazzar who was the king that the handwriting on the wall came and he caught God's attention through blasphemy 
And it says in uh, Daniel, ch Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, earlier during the year of King Belshazzar's reign, the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. So he's in the middle of the kingdom of a king who was not learned from the, the lessons of his grandparents, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He's not learned from history. He has not paid attention to. Uh, he's just become arrogant, blasphemous, cocky, stubborn. And uh, Daniel, is he's still serving, and, and God gives him this revelation, and this is what he saw. Get ready. It's kind of trippy here in, in uh, how it describes it. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning on the surface of the great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear, and it was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, Get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. What we're going to do right at that section in your bulletin, I want you each to draw the four beasts, and we'll have a competition at the end. This is pretty, you know, I was I like, we should hand out kaleidoscopes, you know, at this point as we're reading this portion of the script. It's just very, it's apocalyptic. It's different. It's a different genre of, of literature. It's very symbolic. It's very descriptive of, you know, metaphorically of what God is doing. So, you know, you got a bear, a, a, you know, you got a, a leopard, you got a lion, you got another beast that is too ugly to describe. And, and just Daniel's sitting there and he's wondering, he's, he's like, is this Daniel fast really messing with my head or is God trying to say something to me? And uh, so he writes down, he'll interact with, with the vision and he'll get explanations and he'll get descriptions. We know later on, these are, this is a description of four different kingdoms or empires. Uh, you know, it's the Babylonian Empire, it's the Medo-Persian Empire, it's the Greek Empire, it's the Roman Empire. So God is giving him a vision that, that expands beyond where he's at. And God needs to do that in us as well. Because we can get so focused on today and on today's challenges that we can lose sight of the bigger story that we're a part of. And God wants to show us that it's not just a repetition of the same thing going on time after time. He knows everything that is coming. And he has insight and wisdom for us to walk in sync and in harmony with his plans, with what he wants to do. First uh, blank that you want to fill out there is clarity of vision. Clarity of vision. Apocalyptic literature I'm just going to mention some of the different sections of the Bible. It's spread out throughout Old Testament, New Testament. You got Daniel, you got uh, prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Joel, Zechariah, Ezekiel. In the New Testament, you have Jesus himself quoting from the portions that we're talking about today. 
Jesus will quote Daniel when he's talking about the, you know, the, the end of times in Matthew 24, 25. You got the book of Revelation. You got Mark 13, 2 Thessalonians uh, has a lot of apocalyptic literature. How do you, how do you approach this? Do you, do you like shy away from it or do you dive into it? Well, we just need to be aware that it's different from like the gospels where it's telling a straightforward story, narrative. Uh, we, we have to have the right, you know, we need to understand it's symbolic. We need to understand that a leopard or a lion might have meant something unique during the days of Daniel that might be a little bit different from today. It's like, you know, I got my wife here sitting in the front row, and she's beautiful as usual, and, uh, and, and I love her hair. And if I, if I was like going to pick, I love that she has hair, first of all. And then if I was going to pick, uh, I'm, I'm go all like songs, Song of Songs 4-1 on her, I'd be like, Oh, my beloved, your hair looks so great today. It looks like a herd of goats. And uh, it probably would not communicate the same thing today as it did to Solomon. Solomon, he's like winked when he said that, and it worked beautifully. Uh, today, this not, herd of goats, not very romantic, right? So, I mean, you got to remember the context when some of this was written. And it, I mean, it just, you know, he the same one. He's like, oh, your pearly white teeth look like sheep, and they all have twins. He's <laughs> a poet. And uh, in other words, you're not missing any teeth. That's great. And, uh, and so it's a different, you know, it's a different genre. So when we go into apocalyptic literature, we got to have the humility of saying, okay, it's a lot of it's symbolic. I'm not going to be able to be like HD precise in mapping this thing out. It's just ballpark. Uh, like, like like stars for navigation to help me find my course. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of errors that are committed. Sometimes we over-speculate. We, and, and, uh, and, and we do, we commit the same mistake that the, the people in the days of Jesus did. You know, the most studious people were so intense in how they speculated about the coming of the Messiah that they completely missed him because they painted a picture that had no room for a baby being born in poverty and laying in a manger. No, the king of kings has to be power, conquering. And they knew the town he was going to be born in. They knew the season, the date, pretty much. But they, they speculated so much that they completely missed the story of what God was doing. I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to over-speculate to the extent that it messes with my perception and my hope, and I miss what God wants to do. I'd much rather be kind of like the wise men who were like, hey, we've seen a star. He's got to be around here somewhere. I want to worship him. And it's that attitude of seeking him for worship, not the attitude of owning the information and the map of what's going to happen. I, I love what uh, Larry Osborne says in, uh, you know, to his church as they're talking about end times. He says, I want to be part of the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. And that's really the attitude that we need to have as we think of Christ's return. You know, if we look on, you look online at our statements of faith, uh, you know, as a church, we've got it kind of categorized in different bullet points there on what we believe. And then there's a link at the bottom of the page where it takes you to the 16 fundamental uh, doctrines of the Assemblies of God. And uh, four of those are devoted to end times in our beliefs. You know, so someone would say, well, so it's really believe whatever you want? Is it just ambiguous? Can I be certain of anything? Yes, of course we can. There are things that are spelled out very clearly, but it's filling in beyond that that gets us in trouble. And here's some of the, the four fundamental doctrines that we pull from there. 
the imminent and blessed hope of the church and its rapture preceding the bodily return of Christ to earth. Another one, the rapture of the church will be followed by the visible return of Christ and his reign on earth for a, thou for ten for a thousand years. There will be a final judgment and eternal damnation for the wicked dead. And we believe this. God is he's firm. He's, he's, he's a judge. He, he will not let evil go unpunished. He extends grace to those who want to receive it. But if you reject the antidote, you're choosing the poison, right? So we do believe in a final judgment. There will be a future uh, new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And I love that little, little King James uh, slipped in there at the end. Sound a little more holier or hallowed, should I say. Um, and what... What we believe is, you know, it's not only that just short portion of the, of, of the tribulation and the Antichrist and don't get the Valley Fair stamp on the wrong hand and all that, don't, never accept a chip implant and all that part, right? Um, but we're, we're talking about that's a very small slice of the whole future. New heavens, new earth, Eden restored, God the creator Shows that he is God, the restorer of all things. Today, we get to experience like samples of heaven. That's what miracles are. We get to experience a, a, a taste of that restoring power where there's no more tears and no more sickness. And, 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 and the future steps into our present need and God reverts sickness. But even then, we're still mortal and it's just a sample of what we hope for. Amen. And so as we look ahead, we get this picture of, of a concrete hope that awaits for us. And that's the second point on your bulletin. Everyone pull out the pen and the bulletin. Vision of hope. Vision of hope. That's what God wants to instill in us. The vision of hope, Daniel 7, verse 9. I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow. His hair was like purest wool, and he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him, and the court began its sessions, and the books were open. And there's a footnote that connects this to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, where it's the, the final judgment. And God weighs the actions of humanity, all the, you know, those from the beginning of time up to that moment of judgment and he rewards all those because he is a just and, and righteous judge because he is just and righteous and trustworthy we can have hope if if we believe authority is corrupt something happens to our hope but if we can believe that god is trustworthy we can have hope we can have hope. We can have a vision of hope. Then Daniel goes on in, uh, in, in chapter 7, verse 13. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man. He's talking about Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His kingdom is different from any other kingdom you've seen, Daniel. Because you've seen Nebuchadnezzar and you saw the moments where he did things right and God showed him mercy and then you saw when he made mistakes again and then his son and his grandson didn't learn and then, 
And, and Daniel's like, he's gone through one kingdom. He's like, oh, things are great. Oh, man, they screwed up again. He's out. Okay, another one. He's out. Then the other one, handwriting on the wall. He's out. Then the other one, Darius, throw it. And so it's like, is this always going to be the same repetition? No. There is a king that is not of this world whose kingdom is different from any authority you've ever experienced. And his kingdom will never end. That is a vision of hope. Daniel, you're not stuck in a cyclical existence. There is purpose. There is hope. History is moving forward. It's going to complete the story that God has designed it to complete. Then there's a vision of victory. Point three in your bulletin. I'm usually not this, uh, you know, teacher mode, but I'm going to have to do it today, guys. It's quiz at the end, remember. Vision of victory. There's a vision of victory. Evil will intensify. It's going to get worse before it gets better. This is what it announced throughout Scripture. Jesus said it. It says in Revelation. It says in Daniel. It says in all the apocalyptic literature. Now, if you have a feel-good um, faith, that's going to clash with what God is planning on doing. Because things are going to get messy and ugly. And the reason God lets you know is so that you don't freak out. So that you keep on having hope. And so that you remember that in the end, we win. Guys, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? That's a pretty exciting thing. There's a vision of victory. And uh, Daniel chapter 8 actually focuses on, on the two middle kingdoms, the Medo-Persians and the Greeks. And, and it talks about the afflictions and suffering that, uh, that the people of God were going to go through. And then it, he, he gets to the point in, uh, where he's describing this, this final evil emperor in, in, uh, in, in, in chapter 8, verse 23. Let me read it. At the end of their rule, when the sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant and will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle. But he will be broken. But he will be broken, though not by human power. This is the good news. Victory is not, it doesn't depend on our efforts. It's him. He's the one that brings victory. How many say amen? amen. How many think, how many are excited that we're on the winning side? Amen? Visions of victory. And we can get a sample of that today. We can see his victory in our circumstance today as just a foretaste of the powers of the age to come. We get to see and experience that victory today, whatever we're going through. Revelation 13, 10 uh, kind of matches up. You know, Daniel and Revelation are great to read together. And uh, what, what the author there, John, says is this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Endurance, patience, faithfulness. It's got to be in the mix of what we, what, how we face life, how we go forward. If you don't have room for, uh, for, for suffering and persecution in your mindset, you're going to have a lot of crisis of faith. 
If, if you understand that God is king and he reigns even in the midst of suffering and that he overcomes in the end, then your faith will remain intact and will be firm as you go through valleys of difficulties, of questions, of doubts. I'm not saying that, that it's all going to be uh, suffering. There will be moments where we'll experience victory, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. But it does get better. How many say amen to that? We win in the end. That's great news. And then the final point is a vision for today. Remember, prophecy points us back to what God has done, points us ahead to what he is going to do, and then it points us to today. It's got to impact the way we live today. How are we supposed to live? In light of eternity, in light of what God is wanting to do, that was actually his cue for the keys. It's pretty clever, right? Point number four, that's when you go up and you do the keys. Okay, so point you back, point you forward, and then it pulls you into what God's story is for today. How are we living today in the light of eternity? Are we investing our life, our efforts, our aspirations in temporary earthly things? Do we live with a firm hope or with a fragile faith? Do we live with conviction or do we live with anxiety? Are we so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? Are we detached from the world around us? Have we neglected our purpose and our mission? What God does is he affirms hope in us, gives us a certainty of victory so that we can share that hope and victory with others. Time is short. We live in an imminent reality of Christ's return. Come, Lord Jesus. Spirit and the, and the bride, the church, say, come, Lord Jesus. It can literally be at any moment in the blink of an eye, like a thief in the night. But that is meant to encourage us and also engage us in the mission. One of the apostles, as they were standing with Jesus right before he ascends to heaven, they were excited. They were like, hey, this is great. So now you died, you came back, and now, now, so now it's time for the kingdom, right? You're going to reign. And uh, so apostles went were with, with Jesus, and they kept on asking him, Lord, they kept on asking him, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Is it time? Is it time? Do we get to, like, throw off the Roman Empire? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The exact dates, the when and the how, it's not up to you to know. Paul even writes that to the Thessalonians. I'm not going to write to you guys about how and when this is going to occur. Because you know what you need to know. You know enough to be fully engaged in the mission that God has for you today. Because we have hope, because we know victory is on the horizon, we get to share that with the world around us. Hope is for today. Hope is something we get to share today with others. So don't disengage. Don't get distracted. Don't be negligent. Live wisely in light of eternity. Live with confidence, live with clarity, live with hope, walk in victory, and be faithful with what God has given you today. How many say amen to that?
Amen. There are stories that are told before they happen. We call this prophecy. Through prophecy, God points us back towards the story of what he's done. He points us ahead towards the story of what he's planning and doing. And he pulls us into the story that he is carrying out today. Today we're going to head into the conclusion of our service with the celebration of communion. And our hosts are going to come up and they're going to begin to distribute the elements. Communion is a beautiful picture of exactly this. It's the intersection between past, the future, and the present. It's Christ died on the cross. I'm so grateful I remember him, but I announce until he comes again. And in light of the past, in light of what he's going to do, I live today committed to him. I live today the life that completely and truly follows him. So as you receive the emblems, the bread and the cup, I'm going to invite you to hold on to those and we'll partake together in just a moment. This is the Lord's Supper. It's not restricted to a specific denomination or a church. It's open to everyone who's part of the family of God. You believe in God the Father, salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, made effective by the Holy Spirit. You're welcome to partake of communion with us today. And as you receive that emblem, in just a moment, we're going to take a moment to reflect. Don't eat it yet. Don't drink it yet. We'll, let, we'll indicate when to do that. Just take a moment to reflect on the hope that we have, on the many reasons we have to be grateful, the victory that awaits us, and the commitment that we need to make today to live our lives in light of eternity. At this point, as we take a moment to reflect, I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastors at Maple Grove and at Elk River, and they're going to help direct uh, each location as we partake.